Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of this week's Between the Sheets. Wasn't originally planned that way, but it is. As our uh, sections with uh, Alan Cunahan and the Pharrell end up warranting its own special show. So, oh, uh, no, nobody could have anticipated this. <laughs> well, Bix, we, you know, these things happen. So, anyway, now we're going to cover the rest of the uh, stories in professional wrestling. So, uh, again, we recorded this not knowing we we're going to do two parts. So, we're going to start off with uh, total nonstop action and take it from there. So, here we go. All right, now let's go to TNA. NWA TNA still at this point in time. TNA got major good news this week as negotiations with Dish Network were finally completed, making it the last major pay-per-view provider to come on board and carry the show. Dish Network is believed to cover about 8 million homes, and if new homes do as well as the existing homes, deals should, and for some reason it usually doesn't work out as good as it should on paper, at about 12% to the level of buys. TNA still off DirecTV, which is bigger than Dish. So at the moment, it's down in homes. The company's hopefully be back on in August, at which point they will be available on almost all the 54 million addressable homes. Nobody's talking specifics of what the problem is, but if it was a dispute over revenue splits, which would be similar to the problem that we had with DirecTV a few years back, it was a weird poli- excuse me, a few years back. There's a period there. It was a weird political deal, as In Demand was responsible for marketing TNA from the beginning, which led to problems since In Demand which is a preview channel for cable, is very much a competitor for Dish Network and Dish DirecTV's preview channels, at least among homes who have both a Dish and cable. If TNA was a big deal to DirecTV, they made provisions to continue to air it without a new deal in place under the old terms. This couldn't come at a worse time. And TNA decided against acknowledging this on television. If you recall, when WWE had the problem, they went on television and tried to turn DirecTV heel, which they wouldn't advocate. Because the company would come off like whiny babies if they try to do so. And in the long run, both sides are going to end up doing business because it's money for both. But at the same time, when 25% of your pay-per-view audience no longer has access to the show, do not mention on television leads to bad will and confusion among your customer base. Speaking of, figure four weekly. Fans who contacted DirecTV last week regarding the events being pulled were sent this notice. Quote, Thank you for writing. We apologize for any convenience this issue has caused you. The NWA TNA, unfortunately, has not provided us with any additional event to show. What does this mean, you ask? Brian says, what a stupidest thing imaginable. TNA's pulling the same power play that Vince tried years back. To make a long story short, DirecTV gets a huge cut of the pay-per-view revenues, and TNA only gets about $4 for every $9.95 you spend on the show. Vince, who also gets about 40% of the gross, went insane years back and pulled all events, demanding a bigger piece of the pie. What TNA does not understand is what we wrote last week, that they don't have half the leverage of Vince, and even if they did, Vince lost his power play. The WWE brings in millions and millions of dollars of revenue for DirecTV, and they still lost. This is complete insanity on TNA's part, as they're now losing thousands and thousands of more per week during a time when overheads increasing significantly. Is running a business this hard? Multi-Channel News had an article about the situation last week. The article read in part, DirecTV did not carry TNA's July 7th pay event after it failed to come to terms in demand for renewal of its carriage agreement, which expired June 30th. Sources close to the company said, sources said the dispute revolves around revenue splits and other business issues regarding the events, which retail for a suggested price of $9.95. It's unclear what revenue percentage DirecTV received for the pay-per-view shows. It is believed that if and when things get cleared up, read, when TNA caves in, the pay-per-views will return. 
What a fucking mess. And yes, WWE lost that battle with Dre TV. Yes. In major fashion. And I'll say this. I think both WWE and TNA are in the right. I think that uh, with DirecTV, where there's less, well, I guess for TNA there's a middleman still, but at least for WWE there's not. They they should be 50-50. The reason that it had been 60-40, you know, against the uh, content provider for so long, well, content producer, I guess I should say, was because you didn't just have your request TV, cable video store, viewer's choice, in-demand, TVN distributor. You also had the smaller cable companies. So I think he, that the dish companies were who you'd want to pick that battle with. But as was discussed, this was a bad idea for reasons that have already been established. And then Dave talks about how, you know, they weren't on the dish to start, and because in demand was the conduit there. Well, no, that was a Jay Hasman thing. Well, that's what I was getting into. I mean, Jay <laughs> Hasman, I mean, TNA got screwed from all that because there's no telling how much, how much they could have done from the start if they had access to those homes on the satellite. Well, and more cable homes, too. They didn't have cable vision. Who else were they missing? Time Warner, maybe? They were missing some. You know, and that's all Jay Hassman, and who knows exactly what he was trying to do. Um, I did listen to the episode of Jeff Jarrett's podcast about Hassman. One thing I had forgotten, you know, that's kind of acknowledged on that, and then I was doing some digging to refresh my memory... They did put out a press release at the time of the settlement, which did say it was a walk away with no money changing hands. And Jeff, who I feel is pretty honest, you know, said the same thing. It's just, we realized we're not getting any money out of this guy. We have other things to deal with. And, you know, the Carters especially didn't feel like it was worth spending the money on for something, for what effectively was a mission for Jerry and Jeff to investigate what happened. Because yeah. if you're not going to get any money out of Hasman, what are you doing in that case? You know, it's not the type of thing they really were able to afford to litigate. Um, my theory after really thinking about all this, and you know, if you don't know the story, just go listen to that. The short version is he was lying to them and forging documents and stuff about them being on pay-per-view places they weren't, buying ads on places they weren't, not buying ads in places they were on giving fake buy protections and all that, et cetera, et cetera. They sue. What we just discussed happens. But Hasman eventually, like, he goes to prison for basically this multiple times. <laughs> like, there is very little doubt that the Jarrett's were telling the truth here. Oh, so where I was going with this originally, though, was what I think he was trying to do. I think he was trying to do what Brian Wittenstein tries to do years later. I think... He felt, because he was working for a company that did work for WWE, I I think he's just trying to, quote-unquote, impress them while also collect, collecting the paycheck from TNA. Because yeah. I don't think WWE told him to do it. I, I really don't. But I don't think there's anything that really explains his actions without him thinking he's endearing himself to someone. Yeah, I, I, I can get behind that. Because if he's 
trying to keep getting paid, he'd do his job. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Who knows? But anyway, TNA ends up back on the right TV, so as expected. My response was up a little bit before the uh, July 7th review, which Dave's guessing was due to Ken Shamrock with 19 thumbs up, 17 down, 12 in the middle. Best match Paul was three-way with Chris Saban, Amazing Red against Petey Williams, Bobby Roode against Christopher Daniels, and Pride Time Middle Skipper with 33. The Gauntlet match at eight. Worst match was Miracles was one. The Naturals with 14. Monty Brown and D'Lo with 10. And Gauntlet with nine. The Gauntlet Royal Rumble was won by Jeff Jarrett. When it came down to Jeff Jarrett and Ron Killings, Jarrett used the belt shot, but BG James saved Killings. Jarrett got the guitar, was about to use it when Ken Shamrock ran in. He got the guitar and hit Killings with it, allowing Jarrett to get the pin. This set up a 10-way guitar on a pole match for July 14th with three live crew, Dusty Rhodes and Larry Zabisco. Yes, Conan, BG James, Ron Killings, Dusty Rhodes and Larry Zabisco against Jeff Jarrett. Ken Shamrock and the Elite Guard, Chad Collier, Onyx, and Hot Stuff Hernandez. What a fucking match. Shamrock caused all his Excuse injuries, me? only worth 90 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shamrock caused all of his injuries, only worth 90 seconds, and basically gave everyone belly to belly suplexes. This got eliminated in his Golden Berserk got to be an eliminated act. And now had no idea he was doing his Berserk act. And Mike today and Don West were legit scared. Not be- not of Shamrock, but because he was swinging a chair on their table with monitors, and they were scared he'd break one and send broken glass flying everywhere. <laughs> wow. The Naturals, Chase Stevens and Andy Douglas, won the tag toss for Miracles was won in just 19 seconds when Douglas hit James Storm with a belt shot and got the pin. The plan at this point is for AMW to win a double ladder match on July 14th set up a cage match on July 21st. Rest show wasn't much. There's a big difference on pay-per-view when AJ Styles doesn't wrestle. Dave was so nearly impressed with Chris Saban and Amazing Red versus Team Canada and Daniels and Skipper. They seem to be in the minority. They miss a lot of spots. It was the best laid out match. There was some great stuff here near the end, including one, another one of those Tower of Doom spots where all six guys do a super place or powerbomb together. Don't get a big pop. Daniels had his first match back after a shoulder injury, hit the moonsault on Saban for the pin. Daniels did a great job of selling his shoulder. The way he was carrying himself and the bad shoulder being low on his body seemed to indicate he wasn't 100%. But his acting like it was hurting was a great job of selling. So, yeah, quite the show. But you may wonder why we're not using Brian's review, because Brian wasn't getting the pay-per-views at this time. Because he, he had, had to go, DirecTV, right? Yeah, he had he had to go to somebody's house to watch him. But oh, was this review. one he had to go to Brent's house? Yeah, so Dr. Keefe actually did the pay-per-view review. For the show, for the uh, Figure Four Weekly. Oh, you mean our own Doctor Keith? Yes, our own Doctor Keith. Keith. That's right. Yes. Oh, that's but nice. We, but Brian did have impact. So let's go to Figure Four Weekly. So this no is shit. Fox yeah. Sports Impact, right? Yeah, yeah. This is how it started. No shit. I remember the tape Impact on July night, and I even had on the right channel and everything. I have to admit, I experienced a perverse sort of joy this past weekend when I realized I wasn't going to have to drive a 120 miles round trip to Craig's, not Brent, Craig's, to watch the Wednesday Night Pay-Per-View. Does that make me a bad wrestling fan? Or bad editor of a pro wrestling publication? If so, I don't care. I was happy. I've been in this break for two years. <laughs> so, yeah, he's going to Craig's. All right. So the Naturals went against Elis Skipper and Chris Dance for the tag titles. Naturals came out with their brand new tag title belts. 
Brian's still waiting for Team Canada to get tag title shots, seeing how they won a non-title match a few weeks back. It must have been a horrible screw-up on the pay-per-view because Don West is going on and on about how nobody did this day actually knew how the Naturals won the match. Daniels ran wild early on both guys and looked really good for a dude coming off a separated shoulder. Larry Zabisco, the judge of the night, was shown intently watching the match on the monitor, which means he was scratching his chin in a thoughtful manner. Skipper took a killer bump off a clothesline. Daniels made a hot comeback and it broke down. Suddenly, time stood still. Daniels had a look on his face like everyone was out of position. Don West started talking about Skipper, saying, You could tell he works out. He said, Why, yes, you can. <laughs> Good guy has had a pen, but Andy Douglas pulled the ref out of the ring. Somehow, this was not a disqualification. They went to their first ever TV telling to draw, and Larry had to pick a winner. Not sure why they can't just have a draw. Borash announced the winners were Douglas and Skipper. Has TNA ever explained there's a title can change hands by decision? America's was one hit the ring afterwards and beat up the bad guys. I do not remember the having the judge on the oh, mission. Oh, so talk to me about everything it. had a ten minute time limit, I believe. See, I don't even remember that. Wow. It was part of them having the Fox Box, remember? Oh, okay. Now you say Fox Box, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Also, wait, so who actually won the match? Because it could not obviously cannot be Douglas and Skipper. I guess he means Daniels and Skipper. Daniels and Douglas Skipper. and Stevens. <laughs> who knows <laughs> hold on let's see impact wrestling I'm actually surprised that Brian actually because you, you usually call them natural one and natural number two or, or oh actually like that. wait that's that's how you know that it's Daniels and Skipper because otherwise he'd be calling them brown hair natural and light hair <laughs> or natural or whatever he did yeah exactly um oh wait I found the results Let, okay we're leaning towards it being triple X for the reasons we just described. And yes, triple X one. Christopher Daniels. There you go. Primetime prime Elite Skipper. Michael Shane and Frank Gazarian went against D Ray 3000 and Sharp Boy. Have they ever explained how D Ray got a contract? Did they finally just give him one? Don and Mike were trying to explain these wacky X Division stipulations as it regards AJ Styles. They totally lost me. Don was also talking about almost being killed by Ken Shamrock on Wednesday, which actually makes me sad I missed that show. <laughs> D-Ray made a seriously wacky comeback. Sharp Boy went up for a dive and actually wiped out Tracy. Imagine how hard something like that would be in real life. Because Aaron damn near killed D-Ray with a one-man Spanish fly for the pin. D-Ray 3000, Bix. Dorian Blast. Hill, right? Blast from the past. I haven't heard that name in a while. Yeah, I, he was still around after this. I just don't remember really seeing him anywhere. Yeah. Abyss and Alex Shelley then went against Mr. 630, Jarrell Clark, and Mikey Bats. Shelley is now referred to as Goldie's Baby Bear. Brian does not know what this means. We'll have more on that later. Much of Alex Shelley's offense defied the laws of physics, and that's not necessarily a good thing. This turned into what could be best described as an indie debacle. And Abyss looked like Bader in his prime compared to everyone else. And in all, all caps, what the fuck is a baby bear? <laughs> oh my god. Again, we'll have more on it in a moment. Yes. Um... <laughs> Let's just say that I hope one day Mikey Batts does an interview about why he exited World Wrestling Entertainment. <laughs> Oh, I have no idea if the story there ever got reported properly, so I ain't saying anything. Yeah, don't say nothing. <laughs> All right, 
the elite squad, Chad Collier, honest, to be clear, and it's not that he did anything bad. I don't want to imply okay. that because yes. I realized we should probably make that clear. <laughs> Chad Collier, honest, and Hasta Fernandez went against three life crew. Troop and Hasta did a lot of moves early. Conan got the hot tag around wild. His combat most consisted of him sidestepping guys so they go flying off their own accord. He put Collier in a wacky lucha submission, but Jared hit the ring behind the rest back and clonked him with a guitar. Even though Conan was lying amidst broken guitar pieces and Jarrett was standing outside with a broken guitar, Hot Stuff still got the pin. Bad guys destroyed the good guys in a rush to sloppy fashion afterwards. Thank God these guys have medical insurance. <laughs> Larry Smith's got Dusty Rose walked slowly well, to the ring afterwards. we should actually explain that real quick. <laughs> well, hold on. Larry Smith's got Dusty Rose walked slowly to the ring afterwards, and this caused all four large bad guys to run for the hills. All right, go ahead. So this was what? From like early 03? And then I guess for a couple of years after that, something like that. It was sometime in 03, I think, that it started. That they were giving talent some kind of medical insurance. Um, I was told by someone there at the time. I remember that it was crappy insurance, but apparently it was real. And it eventually just disappears. I don't even really know if it was ever explained. And then the kicker, of course, is when they did it, they did a storyline where, oh, it was Don Callis and someone as like authority figures were doing dueling promos about whether or not wrestlers should have health insurance. <laughs> TNA, everybody. <laughs> yes, indeed. <clears throat> so Larry and Dusty do a promo. Well, Larry does a promo at the break about 30 glorious years and master players of human chess and this business and tickets to Larry land. Dusty then ran in the raid and then raided and strange nobody in the audience was listening to him. This made me sad because I was usually entertained. <laughs> oh, Dusty and Larry. Jeff Hammond the NASCAR, who thankfully was on the announced team, did a segment where he explained to us all about the six-sided ring. This was just as absurd as you would imagine it being. When he was done, Mike today suddenly screamed, Jeff Hammond joined us on commentary next. What? <laughs> also, explain how, uh, how Brian's beheld the NASCAR. NASCAR as in, and then... Ascar and lo and As regular. If it's not an acronym. Yes. <laughs> like he watches NASCAR. I want. Okay. I wonder who has watched more real sporting events. You or Brian Alvarez? Oh, that's gonna be you. It's me. <laughs> that's an interesting one. Oh All come right. on! Do you Next. really? You oh come on! We've heard both heard enough Brian Alvarez. Do you really think there? Do you really think there's any chance? He's watched more World Series games or Super Bowls than me. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> so Jeff Hammond was on the announced team for AJ Styles versus Chris Saban versus Petey Williams. Jeff, as promised, did commentary next. He was billed as lead analyst. Yes, the lead analyst. His job appeared to be to compare everything on this show to NASCAR. Some creative three-way spots. All three guys in the booth were stepping all over each other, and Don may have just given up for a while because Brian didn't hear him say a thing for a few minutes. Finally, Jeff shut up and Don returned. Crowd chanted, AJ Styles. Hammond was talking about Scott Demore was trying to help Petey from being counted out. Petey was in the ring at the time. Because <laughs> Aaron hit Shane at ringside, and AJ responded by immediately diving onto them. In the ring, Petey hit Saban with his Canadian Destroyer flipping pile driver, which is really cool the first time you see it, but then after a while you start to realize how completely absurd it really is. <laughs> pretty good match overall though 
Shane considering AJ brawled for way too long afterwards. A decent show, but when it was over, Brian still did not miss the pay-per-views. Hmm. Oh my goodness, TNA. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right now let's get to the outside the ring stuff, which is always the fun part of TNA. The July 21st date has been the final one in Nashville is neither official, nor at this point even likely. This is Dave. There's still a disagreement between the Carters and the Jarrett's. Most people Dave knows are siding with the Jarrett's viewpoint. Originally, Dave wouldn't have, but two things have made Dave change his mind. First, Nashville crowds have been a lot stronger, and Dave's feelings Orlando would burn out getting two shows per week. It would be even worse come the fall, because the feelings that about 25% of the Orlando crowd are regular wrestling fans, and the rest are those just go to Universal Studios. Universal's business on Wednesday, Thursday night, come October, is next to nothing. Even on July 8th, and granted, the weather wasn't the best, but they couldn't even fill the 850C studio. Dave can also understand the Carter standpoint that this thing is costing them big money. Yeah, I mean, I understand both viewpoints. You know, I mean, the Carters want that Orlando, you know, seal of approval type deal where, you know, it looks slicker and everything. It's in Orlando. And, uh, you know, the Jairus, you know, Nashville is home base and everything and tradition and blah, 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 blah. Where do you stand on all this? The thing is, if you... It couldn't. You couldn't have one city support weekly tapings, twice. Tw- excuse me, twice. Tw- twice a week. You know, like I think the Jarrets are right. Now, this gets solved by them getting rid of the weekly pay per views and becoming a regular, more traditional company. But they're right in part because they they know what they did to Nashville as an indie wrestler market. Yeah. Well, my thing is, why not, why not just alternate? One week Nashville, one week Orlando. Mm-hmm. That's an easy way around it. <laughs> you know, you get the best of both. So, I don't know. Yes. But we don't know what happened in the end, so. Yeah. Um, and then they helped burn out Central Florida as well. <laughs> yes. All right, um... The problems with the Ring of Honor promotion appear to be over with. While nothing has been said publicly by either side, both Chad Collier and Alex Shelley have been told that they can work for Ring of Honor, which is contrary to the original doctrine where anyone who worked for one could work for the other one. This may also open the doors for Jack Evans, although the current team calendar seems solid. Collier's not in the contract, as they are using him without one. Not sure of Shelley's status. It is believed, although not official, that AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels would return to the Ring of Honor on August 7th. Okay. I don't remember if that's when they come back, but they do. Eventually, but the thing is... Well, uh, okay. There are clearly issues long-term still, because there starts to be this problem where certain guys who were in TNA would come to ROH, and it was very obvious that TNA wouldn't allow them to do jobs. The obvious example being the Daniels run in, like, 05 where he's constantly in mid-card three-way matches because he can't lose. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, this is stemming from the Feinstein fallout, where, okay, I don't think, th- it wasn't that they pulled talent right away, it was that once there started to be the rumors that Feinstein was still there after the perverted justice bust, which was true, they, wa- or it's once they started hearing the rumors they wanted 
Doug Gentry, who was theoretically the owner and person in charge at the time, even though it was really Rob, and Carrie Silken, who at that point is just an outside investor who doesn't have an ownership stake formally, uh, to sign something, and they wouldn't. Now, it turned out, in fairness to Carrie and Gabe Sapolsky and all those people, they it was that they knew Feinstein would refuse to go, and they were working on forcing him out and into selling to Carrie in the meantime. Like, they were in a tough spot. I don't, bl I don't blame those guys for anything under the circumstances. I understand why they had to lie about it. Because, um, look, if nothing else, Rob Feinstein is an incredibly stubborn person. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes. <laughs> so, I get that, and I, but I also get why TNA felt they had to pull the talent at the time. You know, if they're not signing this, it's because he's still there. They were right. And once he's really gone, they seem to be willing to smooth things over. That said, Dave also reported in the middle of all of that, the Feinstein thing to something, some degree was a pretext because apparently the Jarrett's and other people in the office were kind of jealous of ROH because they felt like ROH was getting a lot of buzz that they weren't, despite having so many of the same wrestlers. Well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> Different time. They're right. They don't have the time constraints in ROH. You know, all that. So, And they're doing, they're doing a higher level of in-ring action, too. Right. They're, what the, they're working team and they're based matches out, on... And they're based on the Northeast. Well, that's so it. I mean... I mean, you're going to have more of the buzz because you're in Philadelphia, New York, and Northeast Boston, Market. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Boston, yeah, yeah, not, you know, not Nashville. And TNA had kind of a stigma about it even from the beginning. So, yeah. Because of the uh, dicks and the name. And, well, I just say The Johnsons, not the dicks. Yeah. All right. Christopher Daniels talked about moving his family to Orlando. It'll make both travel easier here every week. Plus, there are a lot more indie days in Northeast and on the West Coast, and he figures he'll be able to get more bookings since it would cost less for promoters to bring him in. Always a good idea, I guess. It is, but it's also interesting when you think about it. Boy, did he get a lot of fly-in bookings for that era when you consider that so many of them were cross-country. Yeah, but he was, he was like the guy on indies. He you know? was I mean, the he was... guy, but... Very few people were getting cross-country flights on a regular basis in that era. Yeah. Think, think about how little we saw of the West Coast guys on the East Coast until um, until Mike Burns started booking CZW and started flying in the uh, the RevPro guys. Yeah. Well, I guess they're the PWG guys, whatever you want to call them. But All right. They'll be, me they'll be meeting this week in Orlando regarding the NWA name. TNA signed a 10-year deal given the right to control the NWA World Heavyweight title and tag titles, even though TNA's not an NWA member. TNA called a meeting with NWA to talk about the contract. At this point, they have dropped all references to the NWA name except as it pertains to the two titles. Deja vu all over again for the NWA. <laughs> but I think it's in 05 where this completely breaks down, right? Yeah, but here, I mean, this is WCW. All over again. Well, was it ever made entirely clear why this breaks down in the first place? They have a 10-year deal. The Carters don't give a shit about the NWA. Oh, so it's like, why are we paying for this? Exactly. Yeah. 
Was it, uh, well, also, was there ever any explanation for why the deal didn't include them becoming an NWA member? I have no idea. I always thought that was weird, too. But A lot of the wrestlers were upset that D'Lo Brown had the job for Monty Brown on the pay-per-view. Dude, it was unfair to D'Lo. Bottom line is Dutch Mantel sees something in Monty Brown. He's going to give him a major push. In the TV conversation, Dave thinks to build up an ex-NFL player for Jeff. Well, Dutch was right. Yes. Dutch was right. He's absolutely right. Anyway. And After also, all, Monty, Monty Brown's been a project since before they ran their first show. But you know how wrestlers are. Uh, yeah. All right. After all the buildup, there was zero reaction to Orlando when NASCAR announcer Jeff Hammond came out. He's a huge name in NASCAR. There's been a lot of TV commercials, including a national ad with Big Show for Stacker 2 that ran a few years ago. Dave just think there's... Dave doesn't think there's nearly as great a NASCAR pro wrestling fan tie-in as a lot of wrestling people think. That's true. Hammond's role is to do one feature segment. The fe- first being on Six Side of Ring and then commentating the main event. He wasn't lost, but he wasn't ready to commentate either. He stayed out of the way and didn't hurt. The idea is his name and stature would give the show credibility. Whether it will help, Dave doesn't know, but he didn't try and play star and respected Mike and Don enough to understand this was their field. He's just learning it. Having said that, Dave does believe it's a plus for the company. And being involved gives the show credibility on the station and the company's any mainstream tie-ins it can get. The real game they're in today is not necessarily attracting new wrestling fans right now, although in the long run, that is their make or break, but in staying alive and getting TV and sponsorship upgrades. It's more important right now for them to spend money and look the part than actually be a thriving wrestling company. And Dave's 100% right. He's 100% right. Which always is with TNA. <laughs> now, Jeff Hammond, okay. Jeff Hammond, I mean, at this point in time, Fox is... In their fourth year of NASCAR, and I mean Jeff's all narrow time with with Darrell Waltrip and the the, the uh, pre race show and all that stuff, and you know he's a guy's been around and has a cachet in real sports media. So yeah, I mean that if they had the chance to do, to work with him, then yeah. But Dave's also right too, just because NASCAR. And pro wrestling, how you know, thrived in a lot of the same places. Yes, there were a lot of NASCAR fans who were not wrestling fans. You know, just because one, just because they, they dwell in the same areas, doesn't mean that they're going to share the same fans. Right, and so, they're so dissimilar as its products anyway. Yeah, exactly. But again, Dave, Dave was right. I mean, TNA's got to do what they got to do at this point in time to get any type of interest nationally. Yeah. So, why not? One of the funniest stories is the head of the behind the scenes, but behind uh, the head heat, behind heat, the scenes, heat, heat at the time. Yeah, heat, yeah, heat behind the scenes involving Dusty Rose and Larry Zabisco. Dusty made it clear to everyone he doesn't want to be linked with Zabisco as he considers himself a real legend, and Larry is not on his level, which in the primes as draws was the case. But that's also 20 years ago, and modern fans wouldn't know that. Dusty actually told Zabisco he was on the level of stars Jarrett. Actually, he's a bigger star than Jarrett even today. And as Zabisco's at the level of Glenn Gliberti, which Dave gets the biggest insult possible nowadays. <laughs> After all that complaining on the July 8th Orlando show, they were sent out to do it together to a promo. Zabisco went first, did his strong promo. Dusty, who had the better ref for promos, really both were excellent promos back in their day, did not do as good of a promo, although it wasn't bad. 
A few fans while Dusty was doing the promo chatted, Larry, Larry. And in the background, you can see Zabisco egging them on while Dusty was talking. Dusty stopped in mid-sentence, turned around as the fans were chanting, and gave Zabisco that look before continuing on. Is that the same look he gave Stephanie in the uh, in that one promo? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but Dave, but Dave Jose don't now try and make all this to an angle because as good as the promos would be, the two wrestling each other would be tough. When they got to the back, Jerry Jarrett went to Larry and told him he did a great promo and made no bones about Dusty doing one. Considering Dusty was supposed to talk about Jeff Hardy in his promo, Ended up forgetting or simply bringing up his name. When the promo was over, Dave's only feeling was a shame that they are old. So Bisco's only problem is that he looks old because he now knows how to do a promo that makes you believe he can and will hurt you even now. But the face and body don't go with it. Larry, I mean, God bless Larry. You know, <laughs> I mean, Larry, Larry... He, he pushed that legend stuff so much that he got himself over as a le- the living legend of wrestling. Yep. You know? Yep. And as far and as far as being a draw, Larry was not a draw, except when the Bruno feud, really. No. He really no. wasn't. So, I mean, <clears throat> you tell the people something long enough and, and condition the people to believe, hey, this guy, he's a living legend because he says it. But you know Dusty, yeah. Because I could, I can see Dusty right now just getting annoyed at this. <laughs> Larry, I mean, him and Larry have been together for years, but just being annoyed at being in all that, you know. Well, maybe you thought Larry was going to try to blackmail him again. <laughs> oh man! All right, now let's go to the torch for a, a run of news stories here. And remember that that uh, Jarrett met with FX officials recently discussed the possibility of moving the Impact show from Fox Sports Network. One story making the rounds that FX officials were impressed with the show but want to see how it performs in the ratings over a 12-week period. Boy, the Torch really wants to wrestle on FX, don't they? <laughs> I mean, from ECW to DNA, WCW. I'm, try- I'm trying to figure out what I should even say to that at this point. For, for more on this, listen to just, like, every show we've done on our Patreon for the last year or so. Yeah. Patreon.com <laughs> slash Between the Sheets. Okay. All right. Vince Russo did not attend the Impact taping on Thursday night. Although nothing's been confirmed, the rumors that Russo was so frustrated with his lack of creative process input, he decided to skip the show. Some wrestling fans and even reporters continue to blame Russo for TNA's booking flaws. But he's not nearly as involved as some people think he is. Russo does sit on the own booking meetings with Jeff Jarrett and Touch Mattel, but the bulk of his ideas are shot down. <laughs> but he's involved. He's always involved, though. He's always involved with TNA. All right, so Ken Shamrock is working with Jeff Jarrett in hopes of creating some cross-promotion between TNA and UFC. Jared approached USC officials a few months ago about that very subject, but the proposal was, reject- was rejected. The feeling is that USC may be more willing to work with Jared now that TNA has the Fox Sports Network exposure. USC doesn't have weekly television. It's available only on pay-per-view, so one has to wonder what TNA hopes to get out of the relationship. <laughs> Funny reading some of this stuff, isn't it? As far as... It said that UFC wanted to get him, you know, involved with pro wrestling and stuff like that, you know, and they're talking with groups and, you know, it's just well, funny. It seems like maybe they don't want to get involved with pro wrestling. Well, so that it's all about the, well, 
Depends on the you know the network exposure, and that's why you know eventually I think that's why the Spike thing was so appealing to them with uh, behind WWE and everything, and look and look what it did to their popularity. So obviously there's something to it. Shane Douglas could be very enthusiastic about his new roles backstage agent. He spent a lot of time prior to the preview last week instructing Chad Collier, Honest Hostel Fernandez of the Elite Squad on how to feed their opponents for comebacks. Collier was trained by Dean Malenko, who was considered the most polished member of the Elite Guard. Honest considered the wink link in the ring as he has a tendency of getting too excited and working overly aggressive. Honest is a member of the Wildside roster and was recommended for his role in TNA by Wildside promoter and TNA guerrilla position worker Bill Barons. Sure. Um, yeah, honest could work. Yeah, and... It does not surprise me at all that Shane Douglas would have really liked being a match producer and also that he would have done a good job because, you know, on IWTV, whatever, look up any indie match of recent vintage that Shane Douglas has done. Obviously, it's Shane Douglas. He is beat up to hell. He also, everywhere he works makes a point of pulling out every single possible shortcut to make sure he gives fans an entertaining match. Mm-hmm. He knows his shit. Oh, yeah. Shane Douglas is a very smart guy. He's had his issues over the years, but he's a very smart guy. Yes, and he, and he knows wrestling. Oh, yes, absolutely. Wrestlers are complaining about Code Booker Dutch Mantel again. They say it's a stubborn and he insisted things be done his way. You can't even suggest anything to him, one wrestler said. The second wrestler said Dutch and all TNA fish seem to have the take your money and keep your mouth shut or we'll keep you home attitude. Others pointed out that he seems paranoid and that he won't let anyone spend too much time with Jeff Jarrett before sticking his nose in to see what's going on. It is possible Dutch has been asked by Jarrett to run interference for him. Either way, Dutch is one of the least popular authority figures in the TNA dressing room. What do you make of this? It's that damn John Laurinaitis. <laughs> oh, the old scapegoat. Of Jeff all really the people, I mean, of all the, yes, of all the people that have worked in creative in this company, I'm pretty sure the two that would have most been in lockstep in terms of their philosophy and everything would have been Jeff and Dutch. Yes. I, I are they maybe different personality types? Sure, but. I, th- I think it may be a combination of things. Maybe there's a stubbornness, but also knowing that it's better to not have the co-owner founder in the heat spot. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. Alex Shelley signed with TNA on July 8th. Terms of the deal have not been disclosed. Shelley's been telling friends he doesn't know if he'll be able to honor his Ring of Honor commitments, and it's doubtful that he will over the long run unless TNA and Ring of Honor officials settle their differences. Although he's been allowed to work in any days he's already committed to. In other Shelly news, he's been making it clear to the wrestlers backstage that he had no creative input regarding the baby bear name that TNA officials gave him. <laughs> oh, uh, hilarious. I'm glad it wasn't baby bird. <laughs> Loki was in Nashville on July 7th. Not sure what happened, but Dave was thinking they want him in to reunite Triple X. He never appeared. They wanted him once again to sign a contract. Once again, he refused. He and Manchin both said best of luck to each other and seemed to leave on good terms. Well, how about that? <laughs> I don't know why that, your reaction to that made me laugh. 
Back to the torch real quick. Kid Romeo's backstage at the tapings as well. He lives in the air, and this is the first time he's been backstage. He worked a handful of TNA events last summer and hasn't been used since. Russell said he rubbed people the wrong way and probably won't be invited back because he's so annoying, as one wrestler put it. <laughs> well, these two, you read this stuff about them from the locker rooms, you know, the promotions. And boy, these wrestlers in the early to mid 2000s, they're a hoot, aren't they? Oh, I, <laughs> I miss caddy wrestler quotes in the torch. Don't you? <laughs> it's a hoot. <laughs> I hate that guy, said an unnamed source. Oh, uh, yeah. Imagine there was tr- social media back then. And the subtweeting and stuff like that that would be going on about guy, you know, guys like this. Oh, my uh... goodness. Jeff Hardy's timely to schedule the return on the 21st. The company wants to give Hardy a big push because of the reaction he got. The question would be if the reaction will stay long term once people realize he's not the Jeff Hardy that people thought was going to be the next Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. Hey, did I? Eh, did he? <laughs> he went back to me I say did I <laughs> but yes he's had his problems he's still going though now let's get to the Hetta Gaza segment of the show they're in the process of working on a legit working visa for Hetta Gaza which we completed will become a regular working every Wednesday and Thursday probably in three or four weeks oh, that'll that end was well. Dave that was Dave now let's go to the torch Hetta the Gaza quit working for AAA about three weeks ago and it cost us tension between AAA promoter Antonio Pena and Jeff Jarrett Jared told Garza that he would continue to book him on TNA shows in part because he didn't want to let Pena tell him how to run his company. Jared was also said that Pena didn't send the specific mini wrestlers he had requested for the anniversary show. Garza had a fuel to the fire by telling Jared that one of the reasons he was quitting was that Pena was late on paying the AAA wrestlers the money they were owed from working TNA in Japan. Pena is scheduled to be at the Impact tapings on the 15th to meet with Jared. Well, that's not good. Well, let's continue. Back to Dave. Nobody from Mexico is used this week. But Pena's scheduled to be at the Orlando show on the 15th, which means 50% he'll be there. In fairness, isn't he, like, dying at the time? 2004? He dies in 06, right? Yeah, he's he's not... Oh, yeah, he's not not all the way there. I mean, he's probably sick, but he's not... Yeah, he's appearing on Triple A show. Yeah, he's on TV. Yeah. Goldilocks, who remains an incredible waste of time, is now doing a gimmick where she's filthy rich. Take it from the Mr. Howell character on Gilligan's Island from the 60s. She bought herself an ex-division wrestler and Alex Shelley, who did so well in his first impact match that they now give him a push. The deal is she's hanging with Shelley, who teams with Abyss, but Abyss is about to go to a jealous rage. Don't you love these TNA storylines, folks? Isn't it great? Is this one of those deals, though, where it's nothing like the TV storyline or character that Dave thinks it's aping, but for some reason he uses that as the point of reference thing? I have no memory of it, so I can't tell you. Because I, 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 when I think Goldilocks, I don't think see Thurston Howell. I just remember she had a gimmick where she got rich. That I remember, yes. That's all I know. As it turns out, the Kid Cash deals a work on the boys. Oh, that's also great, isn't it? It's good to know the spirit of WCW lives, and that when all the wrestlers find this out, and most figured it out already, they'll be even more willing not to trust anything said. Which is always good in the business where people are naturally not trusting anyone to start with. It probably started as real, as Dave doesn't think his interview with Brian Stoll, where he complained was a setup. But somewhere in there, they got word out to the boys he'd be reprimanded. He was announced to suspend and take off the website, which usually indicates that someone's gone, except he's not gone, and they're going to try and do a Brian Pillman angle with him. Do you have any recollection of what this shit was about? Not really, no. Always good to work your locker room, isn't it? That's just, that's just great. 
It's a great business. Yeah. Jimmy Daniel, who attends every Wednesday, said among the regular ringsiders who buy tickets every week, it's about 50-50 male-female. But most are over the age of 35. He said almost all the freebies, however, are under 35, probably and probably half are under 21. That's interesting. Yeah, I wonder who's handing the tickets out. And that segues into this. <laughs> oh, Jesus. There was a controversy in Nashville this week. Burr Prentice, who's going to be in running shows, and Tony Falk, who runs every Friday night in Madison, are rivals. Funny thing is, they both work for TNA. Prentice is involved with selling tickets. And he will let the fans who regularly attend fall shows to get the tickets they wanted in their usual section. And these are paying customers who usually sit together. It turned to a minor controversy, but it was believed that by the end of the night, everything was worked out and wouldn't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So he refused to give preferential seating. If only Robert O'Connor was here right now. <laughs> to the older paying customers. Okay. All right. And let's close with this. From, let's close with this from the torch. A friend of Johnny Fairplay said that Johnny Fairplay's defense for his incident in the bar in Florida with Ron Neemy last month stemmed from a misunderstanding. And both people have been ha having drinking. Neemy thought Fairplay was disrespecting Bobby Heenan. When in fact, Fairplay is a huge fan of Heenan has expressed a desire to work with him in TNA, and was in fact expressing the opposite opinion of the bar right before the altercation that led to Fairplay being ejected. Oh, gee, I wonder who a friend of Johnny <laughs> Fairplay being cited as a source in the torch is. <laughs> I wonder if that's someone who's been on this show at least twice. someone from Greensboro perhaps <laughs> perhaps someone who 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 tried to always get his reserve seats like, but not from Bert Prentice so he could sit in front row <laughs> section D that guy <laughs> oh my god I'm dying TNA something else I mean we just ran the game but I mean look at all the the bullshit and names and stuff that we just talked about in this one section alone. My God. Jesus. Yeah. So go behind the curtain for a second. Are we, are, are we splitting this show up? What are we doing? Who knows? We're not done. Well, yes, we're, we're either way. We're not quite done with the first half of the show. Yeah. I guess anyway. Yeah. Alan's not here right now. He'll be back later. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. All right, so now let's go to other North America. We begin with Canada, and there's a wild story here. As uh, IWS makes an appearance on the show, Pierre Carl Ouellette did a strange interview in the indie show Montreal on July 10th. He claimed the reason he wouldn't do a job for Kevin Nash at the Forum in Montreal when Nash was WF champion, and it was a big deal at the time, was because he didn't want his dream of being WF champion to be crushed in his home city. He said the click pressured office into wanting him to do a job in his home city, he claimed this eventually ended his stay in the company. Dave doesn't remember Nash, who was Bayface at the time, while well, that was the heel. Drop here, Lapine. Actually got 50% cheers, which surprised a lot of people, because French Canadian fans usually cheered the Montreal heels. Nash really roughed him up because he was mad about doing some sort of non ending. Well, why is Carl Willette at this show doing this? Well, let's go to La Spawn in Montreal on uh, July 10th. Beef Wellington over Dan Paisan, not the original Beef Wellington. No, I don't think we need to explain, though, that in IWS that the Beef Wellington is the IWS Beef Wellington. 
Nightmare Mance and went to a no contest with Wonder Fred. Sexy Eddie over Crazy Crusher. Kid Kamikaze and Kurt Lauderdale, no relation to Brent, defeated the Arsenal and Hardcore Ninja number one. That is where Brent got the name, though, isn't it? I think so, actually. The Green Phantom defeated XS69, a three-way. Damien and Viking over DJ Sick and Hellstorm and Kenny the Bastard and Takao. And then our main event. Kevin Steen over El Generico with special referee Carl Ouellette. Well, Pierre Carl Ouellette. Pierre Carl Ouellette. Well, that had to be a trip. Yes, and, well, and of course, Carl had been a regular here. Mm-hmm. And I think would continue to be for a while. Um, okay. So the Montreal thing, is, you know, in 95 with Nash, it wasn't necessarily supposed to happen that night. But it's become increasingly clear as time has gone on from different interviews and podcasts and stuff. There was some plan for him to get a quickie switch with Nash, right? There was talked about. I don't know how much of a plan it was. It was talked about. It was close enough that they basically politicked into having him ruin it. I guess. But it, was, it wasn't going to happen. No, I don't think it would have happened. Um, the political. I mean, this wouldn't, it would not have happened. Yeah, and well, and all, of course, there's another reason that it happened, which was that Pat Patterson was retiring, and Pat Patterson was the one who was booking Montreal to be special and have local main eventers. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he had done that. He had done that pretty much for their entire run running that city. You know, sure. Yeah. Look, look up results. Like there is some stuff you would not see anywhere else, like Ron Garvin in like real main events. Oh, yeah. Team with Hogan. Yeah. So, yeah, there were a lot of interesting stuff in Montreal, but, yeah, IWS. Yes, and also, if people for people who have never seen this era of PCO, maybe they've seen the TNA stuff under the mask, but this is a different PCO. He is jacked. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, in top physical condition. Yes, but, you know, look, I don't understand how he is able to walk or wrestle or anything at this point. But I, it's hard not to be happy for him over the last few, how the last few years have gone. Yeah, who would have thought? What a comeback. Mm-hmm. All right, now let's go to Mexico. CMLL. Arena Isabel de Cuernavaca. We have a title match on July 8th where Shocker retained the NBL heavyweight title being Tarzan Boy. And then the next night at Arena Mexico, we have El Coreano and Super Commando over Sombra de Plata and Zeta. Mysterioso. Two, Mystico and Borodo Jr. Mystico's about to get ready to explode here. Over Arcanjo de la Muerte, Sangre Azteca and Violencia. Brazo de Plata, L.A. Park and Shocker over Perov, Rey Bucanero and Shigeo Okamura. Hector Gaza, Tarzan Boy and El Terrible over Io de Paraguayo, Mission Niebla, Negro Casas. And then similar trios titles. A title change as Black Warrior, Connect and Royalist de Jalisco Jr., Defeated Black Tiger, Dr. Wagner Jr., and Universal Dos Mule to win the titles. And then Colosseo on the 13th. Tony Boy and Valiente over Povora and Titan. Brazo de Oro Jr., Brazo de Pablo Jr., and Tigre Metallico over Lobo Vikingo, Mesala, and Super Commando. Allen Stone, Cristo, and Brazo de Oro over Arcana de la Muerte, Dr. X, and Veneno. Bestia Savaje, Farza Guerrera, and Shigeo Kamura over Brazo de Plata, Felino, and Misiniebla. And Averno, Mephisto, and Perov of Atlantis, Blue Panther, Satanico. Whether in CMLL or even 
Mexico in general, or even like Major League Pro Wrestling in general, who else has just climbed the card through sheer attrition the way that Valiente did? <sighs> you know what I mean? He has kind of a unique career arc. He worked his way up. Well, Vola, Vola Virginia worked his way up. Yes. All of them did. I mean, Mexico. Volador Jr. was groomed, though, for a long time, whereas Valiente wasn't, really. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, Mexico is one of those rare breeds where he just became second match guy in a main eventer in just a very short amount of time, you know? Well, from the moment they gave him the gimmick, that was the plan. Yeah, but still, I mean. To him. Yeah. You know that he wasn't and that's coming up, and it's coming up in the next month. You know, in August when all you that shit goes on. Yeah, yeah, you know, because he had been there as as Astro Boy, and I forget if he ever worked there as Doctor Caronte Junior. But no, he didn't. Okay, just Astro Boy. But yeah, you know they do this big survey. Well, no, it was the previous year they did the big survey about how fans wanted new stars, right? And then they tried it first with Sagrado. He didn't work. And then they held off for a bit and then went to Mexico. Yeah, Sagrado definitely did not work. <laughs> I forgot. Who, what was Sagrado's previous gimmick? Oh, my God. I'm looking now. I, I can't believe neither of us no, knows this off the top of our head. Uh, uh, genetic, Genetico. Genetico, whatever you want to call him. Genetico, yeah. Yeah. But anyway... Alright, Zubito told everyone that the whole story with him admitting to the police he had a cocaine problem when he was arrested for allegedly beating up his girlfriend was bullshit. He denied it in the current Lucius 2000 magazine, even though it was printed from the police report. <laughs> Can't wasn't, lie about that, brother. Wasn't it also something with part of the story involved? Like, wasn't there something... There was some direct drug tie to the story of why he decided to hit his girlfriend, too, right? Yeah, he was geeked up. <laughs> no but it wasn't uh, just there was something about like wasn't there also something involving their kid and the baby and like it wasn't it wasn't something super ridiculous like cocaine in the I don't remember her, right? but he was geeked up he was he was he was high I just remember that and this is the beginning of the end of him being the Zambito who was one of the best wrestlers in the world yeah but he was still good he was still good but he was good at AAA you know when he came when he jumped over there he was During good there at times, time. but he never, he never hit the level he was at. Before. Well, no, no. Now let's talk about Inesma for the first time on this show. No, Is Rob that the thing where you put in the hose and. No, that's an enema. Okay, thank you. Inesma on July 25th will be debuting El Nieto de Santo, the grandson of Santo, who is the wrestler formerly used the name of El Plateado, and is the legit grandson of Santo and nephew of Il de Santo. Iodo Santo will hate it, as he went to great lengths to keep Plateado from getting booked wearing the trademark silver mask. Uh, Axel. Axel! Oh, and so, oh my god, Santo just... Oh, he hated this kid so much. Well, okay, so it's twofold. <laughs> oh. He, and I think he admitted this, he did want to keep it for his own son if his son was going to be a wrestler, and he wanted to wait until his son was old enough to make that decision before the gimmick was handed off to, for anyone to be Nieto de Santo, del Santo. And the other thing, and I believe this is the case, he thought Axel wasn't a particularly good worker and that he thought that putting 
the gimmick on Axel would make them look bad. Santo and his son. That's but you know that was something that was, was talked about forever and ever and ever. And you know what a disappointment that's turned out to be. That whole story. Good so, lord. Yeah, what is the deal with that? I remember him sending the son. I to don't. Noah. I don't know what's going on now. I really don't. It seems like they were well. It seems like once Io Del Santo was, you know, in better shape again with the injuries that he was booking himself out with his son. But I can't think of the last time I heard of anything about Nieto Del Santo. Yeah. Or, oh no, excuse me, Santo Jr. was the name he was using, right? Yes. And he's not wearing the silver mask, at least in the picture on Luto, I think. No. No. Now, uh, Tejano has quit AAA, and he'll start winning Nestle on July 16th to reform the original Los Misionanos de la Muerte, who popularized Shios wrestling in the early 80s in the old UWF promotion with El Signo and Negro Navarro. He Nestle didn't last very long. So, there's no, that. No, no, and I'm sure, I'm sure the source of their funding was completely legitimate. <laughs> you know, like Japanese indies. Monterey! We have two shows on uh, July 11th. Arena Solidaridad. Dr. Siano and Norteño over Sangre de Leon and Yaco. Wait, what does Siano mean? I don't know, top man. I'm just reading results. I know. Chuchamar Jr., Diluvio Negro, one, and Silver Star by Cafan Raquero, two. Hector is Sergio Romero Jr., Black Warrior, Diluvio Negro, two, and Voro Jr. of Amahi Negro Jr., Pero Fintejano by disqualification. And Antifaz, Del Norte, Kinect, and Mission Diablo over Black Tiger, Dr. Biden Jr. at the Garza by disqualification. Okay, I looked. Uh, it's awesome. Dr. Cyanide. Well, there you go. And this is when Arena Soldadaridad was not a AAA-only building in this era. They would use the CMLO guys and others. Is this on, when uh, Arena Coliseo Monterey was using AAA guys? Yeah, I think so, yes. Okay. But we don't have results from there this week. No, we don't have results. July 11th at Gimnasio Nuevo León, Cocoliso and Twister over La Sombra, Monterey version, and Rim Guentere. Ana Dorado Jr., Chabaca Maravilla Jr., Morbius over Cowboy Jr., Crazy Rock, and Cibola dos Mil. Flecha Azul, Hitano de Norte, and Tiger War over Bengali, Gavla Negro, and Warrior. Hunga Negro Jr., Orient- and Orientales over Coco Blanco, Coco Rojo, Coco, Coco Verde. And Adandi, super crazy, and Ultimo Guerrero over WSSS, Halloween, and Nicho in your main event. I really do not want to guess who the Piazos would be here. And and I just, I don't mean their identities. I mean, is this the old AAA Piazos? Is this the IWRG Piazos? Like, who fucking knows? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, mm. that's, that's a tricky one right there. Yeah, who fucking knows? All right, uh, let's talk about Iodo Santo. He was oh, featured God, last I week remember this. on a show called Dia de Perros, A Dog's Day, which sounds like it's similar to Entity Punk, and got the Rock Goldberg treatment. First, they took him to see a statue that was being done of him, but when he got there, it was a cheap-looking lame plaster statue. Then he was taken to a wrestle show where he was working with Blue Panther. During the match, some meanings did run in, including a mini Santo. Santo jealously guards the rights to this name, so there has never been a mini, mini Santo. This was Mini Santo was played by the same Mascarita Sagrada that appeared in TNA. After that, the people he's, he's with crashed the car on purpose into an ambulance. When paramedics came out of the ambulance, they ignored the people who pretended to be hurt and all gathered around Santo. Yes, wearing his mask during the entire show, trying to get autographs. 
Finally, they bring him to a TV studio where he's supposed to film a commercial. They had the set collapse and all the lights go down. Actually, they were a lot easier on him than they were on most celebrities. Santo apparently looked pissed off the most when he saw the mini Santo. It wasn't Santo's week. He was suspended for three weeks by the commission of Tijuana for spraying Pentagon with a fire extinguisher. Pentagon was in the crowd, so he also sprayed a lot of ringside fans who were having trouble breathing. Oh, so it's one of those fire extinguishers. So that's the thing. <laughs> if you're going to use a fire extinguisher in the match, you don't use one of those fire extinguishers. Use a gimmick one. Well, no, you can use a real one and just... I always forget the well, difference. It's gimmicked. <laughs> like the one... That I think it's... Uh, I forget. It's There's one that's the more chemical one. There's one that's the more foamy one, Or something. There are two different types. It doesn't have to be gimmicked. It's just one type is really bad to use. So th that's the issue. Uh, I love that he was more pissed off over the Mini Santo than them trying to murder him. <laughs> What a shock. I mean, that dude is so protective of that fucking gimmick. Yep, and unfortunately, in spite of the existence of Lucha YouTube, it does not look like this is online, I don't think. Oh, well. All right, let's go to Puerto Rico, IWA Puerto Rico. Apollo has moved back to Puerto Rico from Orlando, being caught in the political IWA TNA crosshairs, since he signed a long-term personal services contract with Victor Quinones who won't let him work TNA since Dutch Mantel is working with rival WWC and sitting them talent. I will read that again. <laughs> Apollo, a.k.a. Nuevo Gran Apollo, has moved From back... Last... Say that again? From last week's show. Yes. Has moved back to Puerto Rico from Orlando, being caught in the political IWATNA crosshairs, since he signed a long-term personal services contract... With Victor Quinones. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that that's that's a way to confirm some rumors, I guess. <laughs> I mean, even Tajiri and Super Crazy, I don't think, had personal services contracts. I would hope not. No, I think those are just IWA or whatever wrestling contracts. Now we have results <clears throat> from Bayamon on July 10th. Damian over Just Perfect. Which Damian is that? Who who knows? Chet Jablonski over Blitz. Hound Dog and Spectro over Zona Illegal, Chicago and Stefano. Not Demir. Hangman Hughes over Casey James. Casey James working uh, Burt Prentice and Victor Quinones promotions. And WWE. Then, yes. Thunder and Lightning and Bison. Bison Smith over Apollo, Miguel Perez Jr. and Slash Venom. Slash Venom. What a match that is. Yes. Ricky Banderas over Primo Carnero the third. Why? And then IWA Intercontinental title match, Glamour Boy Shane retained his title over Ray Gonzalez. Sure. Now, Double Double C, they ran a tour last week of Trinidad and Tobago, which will be the first wrestler shows in the country in three years. The tour was put together by Thunderbolt William, who built himself as the TNT Wrestling Champion. On July 6th in McCoy, he beat a fake invader. WC had run the country before when Jose Gonzalez worked as an invader. William took the entire match and won with a bear hug. Victor Javica, who was a huge star back when wrestling was strong in that country, went to WQ with Abdul the Butcher. The actual invader won, went on a website, web chat that night, and said he was at his house. He's out with an injury. The legit story is he was painting his home, fell off a ladder, and landed on a can of paint, breaking four ribs. 
in the storyline there saying that the night the lights were off and he was attacked in the dressing room and they don't know who did it. Well, that's a great angle, isn't it? He'll be out of action for about a month. Have they done the yeah. angle yet where he's stabbed by Savio Vega? Yes. Okay. So, okay, so wait a second. So they've done angles where Jose Gonzalez was both stabbed and attacked in a mystery dressing room attack? <sighs> the results we have of this show With friends Skinner like Park. Victor, jeez. In Skinner Park and San Fernando, Trinidad, Tobago. Abby and Carlos Colon with the WDQ. Javico over Bronco and Eddie Colon over Thunderbolt William. Wow, big win for Eddie Colon. Being then the hometown guy. Imagine the heat on those shows. Oh, my God. Oof. Also, doesn't Thunderbolt Williams just sound like the name of the top star in Trinidad? <laughs> yes. Well, no, excuse me. It's Thunderbolt William, right? William. Thunderbolt William, yes. Yeah, that Not sounds William. even more like it. Yeah. Too bad Tyree Pry wasn't around. He could defend the, the honor of the, uh, the Bahamas. Sure. Wasn't he technically the pride of the Bahamas? I think so. And now let's go to the U.S. independent scene where we begin with Bam Bam Bigelow, 42 years old, possibly done with wrestling. He was booked on July 17th for the ballpark brawl in Buffalo, but pulled out. Stating he was retiring from wrestling due to all his injuries. The promoters tried to build a show as his retirement show, but he said he wouldn't do any wrestling, even a retirement match from this point forward. It should be noted this isn't the first time he's retired. As he's retired before from having back surgery a few years back, came back, worked some media shows in the last year, but never did any kind of extensive schedule since. And yeah, this is it for old Bam Bam, basically. Yep. So. And unfortunately, he passes away just a few years later. Yeah. Sad. All right, Combat Zone Wrestling. They drew 700 fans for the Best of the Best Four in Philadelphia on July 10th, which came down to Sanjay Dutt, beating Roderick Strong. It was said to have been the best booked and best paced of the four tournaments. Oh, no I off- wonder why that is. <laughs> no off-the-charge matches, but all matches were above average in the tournament built, with major pushes for Bobby Quantz and Roger Strong. Quantz was named by the fans after the show as the best performer, even though appeared owner Zandig wanted Strong to win. The big news going into it was Teddy Hart's no-show. Shocking. Teddy put out word that he was injured in a bar fight and wouldn't be able to do the show. As it turned out, he apparently was trying to just copy the Shawn Michaels deal from 1995 and worked it. <laughs> the funny thing was, the FIP promotion in Florida, they canceled his booking in two weeks, even though they knew he wasn't injured since he was claiming it. Dave doesn't know if Teddy Hart will ever get it. As a grandson of Stu Hart, and with his talent, he could be in WWE today as a star, and they won't touch him with a 10-foot pole. And he's now burned bridges of TNA, Ring of Honor, USA Pro, where he no-showed his last booking and still has a pay promoter, Frank Goodman, the, the $290 advance payment he was sent, and CCW through working his own angles of stupidity. But he can get people talking about him. Teddy Hart uh, was asking and able to get $600 in 1994? I mean, not yet, yeah, 2004? Because he was fucking Teddy Hart and he was uh, smoking hot on the internet. I mean, good lord, the FLI Driver message board was, I mean, Teddy Central. <laughs> he, played, he was posting there, for God's sake. Oh, God, that's right, he was. Let's not forget, you know, Jersey Kid and all that stuff that was going on back the then. With, you know, the t- yeah. <laughs> Asking Green Lantern fan to join him in Calgary. <laughs> I mean, you folks just don't know, the ones that weren't around back then, what that was like. Oh, my God. Oh, Teddy. Can you imagine uh, that? But, oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine 2004 Teddy Hart in the social media world? Oh, God, 
Teddy Hart oh. dragging Chasing Rance everywhere. Well, that I mean, that's later. But I mean, Teddy and Jack was everywhere though at this time period. You know, I mean, no, I think Ch- this is around the beginning of when Chasing becomes his stooge. It's in this era. It's, it's like yeah. maybe a little bit later because Teddy starts working more in Florida with Mister Saint Laurent and all that. So, yeah, but uh. Oh, wait, Teddy, Jason, Mr. St. Laurent. Huh. <laughs> All right, we got results here for this show. Uh, round one. Of course, Best of Best had three-way matches in the first round. Well, Homicide. three-way matches with two winners. Yes. Homicide and Jack Evans over Chris Cash. B-Boy and Roger Strong over Jimmy Rave. Alex Shelley and Bobby Quantz over Ruckus by Countout. And P.D. Williams and Sanjay Dutt over Nate Webb. We also have an Extreme Strong Style tournament going on. Round one match. Chris Hero over Hot Stuff Hernandez. Best of Best quarterfinals, Homicide over Jack Evans. Roddy over B-Boy. Bobby Quantz over Alex Shelley. And Sanjay over Petey Williams. A semifinal match for the Extreme Song Style Tournament. Dan Moff over Nick Gage. Then semifinals are the Best of the Best. Roddy over Homicide. Sanjay over Quantz. Then we get a four-way with the losers from the first round. Jimmy Rave over Chris Cash, Jack Evans, and Ruckus. And Best of Best finals, Sanjay Dutt over Roger Strong. That's a hell of a fucking card. Uh, yes. Hell of a fucking car. That said, how can you have an extreme strong style tournament without Tank? Well, Tank wasn't... Was he like the strong a big style deal? psycho yet? I mean, he wasn't a big de- oh, be- yeah. as big of a deal on Dan, Dan Biggs. 2004. I mean, he was in Wildside doing shit, but he wasn't... It's just Wildside had, didn't have the exposure, like, you know, really in 2004 and then used to have. And for the record, since this is ongoing throughout the year, here's your full field for the Strong Style Tournament. B-Boy, Excalibur, John Dahmer, Joker, BJ Whitmer, Brad Bradley, Hotstuff Fernandez, Chris Hero, Nick Gage, Roderick Strong. So Gage beat Roddy in the first round. That's an interesting match. And, and Homicide versus Moth. And Joker was called to active duty in Iraq during the tournament. I remember that. And was replaced by, um, who's King? Is that Eddie King? Kingston? It just says King. I don't think it's Eddie Kingston. Uh, let's see, on Cage Match. Okay, yeah, there's only the one tournament, so who is King? 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 Oh no, King is just his name. Oh no, it is Eddie Kingston, but at the time he was just King. Okay. In his CZW, at least. As he would later be in uh, Impact. Okay. Interesting tournament. Oh, yeah. And as for best of the best, what I was alluding to earlier, it seems fairly clear from some of the people in the tournament, as well as the general time frame, that Mike Burns has taken over booking CZW. Hmm, yeah. And also the fact that the person Zandig wanted to win did not win. The most, po- I mean, that was the most popular vote. So, or the best. Well, you know what I mean. Performer. You know what I mean, though. But anyway, um, but hell of a show on paper. I don't know if I've seen this. Is this on IWTV? Let's see. I would think. Think so by now. Let's see. Best of the. I know. I I saw it years ago. Uh, I guess I have to put that in. Quote. Oh wait, this is best of the best four, right? Yeah. Um, I should just search for 2004, actually. Uh, yeah, it's on there. I figured as much. Yeah. Uh, there's some Bobby Quants you can see on somewhere other than High Spots. No. 
All right, Shikara, they run a tournament on July 10th in Emmaus, Pennsylvania. They have a, a two-day deal here. Young Lions Cup tournament. Shane Storm over Ash in round one. Larry Sweeney over DJ Skittles. Grand Akuma, yeah, that Grand Akuma from Twitter over Spider. And Jay Leith over Eric Cannon. You know, two or three falls match where Hollow Wicked team with Ultramantis Black and Sky Day to beat Icarus, Mike Quackabush, and Mr. Zero. And for the record, Ultramantis Black is also on Twitter, just not as Ultramantis Black. But that's <laughs> American Gigolo over Anton Arrakis. Then we have more Young Lions Cup matches. Blackjack Marcion over Jimmy Jacobs. Eddie Kingston over Jolly Roger. Sabian over Niles Young. And Jigsaw over Rorschach. Then uh, day two. Chris Hero over Keenan Crean in a round one match. Then round two began with Jigsaw over Sabian. Blackjack Marciano over Kingston. The wild cards colliding. Larry Sweeney over Shane Storm. Chris Hero over Gran Akuma. And Hala Wicked team of Ultramantis Black and DJ Skittles to beat Mobius. Spirazul and Flex Venom. Then semifinals, Jigsaw over Blackjack Marciano and Larry Sweeney over Chris Hero. Then we get a two or three falls match. Sweet and Sour International, Crossbones, Mario Metallico, and Sharecropper over Icarus, Jolly Roger, and Mr. Zero. And then our Young Lions Cup final, Larry Sweeney over Jigsaw. So Larry Sweeney getting the big win. Mm-hmm. Now, neither of us were ever big Jakara guys. But this is a nope. pretty fun-looking tournament on paper. Oh, yeah. And lots of good names. I'm sure some good matches. You got some Skyda. Yeah. This stuff's probably also on IWTV, right? Maybe. Possibly. I forget if they ever... I forget how far they were in putting up the Jakara back catalog before everything last year. So. Good-looking stuff here, though. And all, also, I don't remember if the Wrestle Factory in Allentown has closed yet. And if so, are they already sharing ECW Arena with CZW? Because it seems like yeah. there's more of a relationship around this time. So I'm guessing that if it has not happened yet, then it's at least germinating. And yeah. yes, if you ever wondered, by the way, if you weren't following around this time, why there besides just geography, there seems to be a lot of CZW, Jakara, just overlap in social circles and everything from a certain era. It's because a lot of it is because the guys who were trained by CZW or Chikara were doing it at a time where they were effectively the same wrestling school. Yeah. All right. So now let's go to WXW. Not Alex. We'll have, yeah, we'll have uh, more on this. The office. We'll have some news on this in the WE section later. Cedar Park Beach Park in Allentown, Pennsylvania, in front of five thousand fans on July 9th. I'm guessing that is one of those five thousand people on the beach that day thing. Yeah. Black Pearl and L.A. Smooth over Suga and Supremely Great in your opener. A three-way dance for the WXW Women's title. Talia, the future Velvet Sky, retained over April Hunter and Psycho. Jeff Co Coleman over Mike Tobin of the Boogie Nights. And Tizzle wow. working WXW. WXW Cruiserweight title. Low Rider over Prodigy. Doink the Clown over John Cabby. The Untouchables, Anthony Michaels and Mark Gore over Dirty Run Scoundrels, DC Negro and KC Blade, John Rambo over Shorty Smalls, Joe Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> Does he know Dave Patera? <laughs> Joe Morocco over Tonic. Maybe that was the fake Don Morocco that people saw getting the, getting that sub sandwich. It was Joe Morocco. Moondog Molson over Bison Bravado. 
a handicap match, Boogaloo Lou and Eddie Guapo over Havoc. Oh, that's where the Boogaloo talk went when he got blackballed everywhere else for the over the XBW thing. Well, Low Riders here too. Uh, Tonga Kid over Greg the Hammer Valentine. Alpha Junior, Rosie and Samu over Lou Santiago or Montatuga and Perfect Creation. All three natural born centers are here. Homicide over Slick Wagner Brown. And WXW Heavyweight title, Mana over Rapid Fire Maldonado to win the title, Bix. That is a very WXW show. In some way. But it also, it's a mix, though. I'm, I'm, is this a TV taping or something? I don't remember their shows usually being this long. Or is it because it's a sold show or, or something? Maybe. Mm, possibly. I'm trying to think. So, Lou Santiago has to be Diablo Santiago, right? I would think so. Since he's teaming with Oman Tortuga. Uh, anyone else on here? Who was Mana? Oh my god. I, I, WXW is, was tough to do. He was Polynesian Warrior. I remember that. Mana the Polynesian Warrior. I think that's all he was. Okay. But he worked MLW. That, okay, that I remember. He was part of the Samoan Island tribe. Yes, uh, Nakora Mana. I am not gonna even say his last name because I don't want to butcher it. Uh, MLW, Chikara, CZW. Who made a TV tropes page for him? I don't know. <laughs> oh, his Wikipedia page has been deleted, I guess, for not being notable. <laughs> Hilarious. All right. There was a nostalgia show in Knoxville on July 10th. Drew was drew more than a thousand fans. It was a total disaster with no shows, including Bob Brew, Tommy Rich, Buddy Landell, Tony Atlas, Jerry Studd. Tommy and Doug Gilbert, Henry Godwin, and the Mongolian Stomper. Those who did show up were Bob Orton Jr., Mr. Fuji, who looked frail, Ron and Don Wright, Big Boss Man, Ronnie Garvin as a referee, Tracy Smothers, Robert Gil Fuller, plus Bob and Brad Scott Armstrong. Big Boss Man scheduled against Doug Gilbert, and when he wasn't there, promoter Terry Landell subbed and lost his seconds. Garvin did a quick spot with Orton cleaning the house on him. That's a lot yeah. There. Yeah. You know... Bo probably will know the story behind all these no-shows or something. He'll know what's up. But yeah, that's, that's sad. Yeah. Um, is uh, Mark Canterbury, for, like, was he living in the area? Because he kind of sticks out as not really fitting in with the other names here. Well, he's part of Southern Injustice. Sure. Why did I know this was a Terry Landell show before I saw the end of that? <laughs> I think you can guess it. So this is what was he calling his shows in this era? Oh, I have no idea. Because there had been there had been K Town SmackDown, which was what was that Ron Fuller with assistance from Cornette, something like that. There was that. There had been Ron's Championship Wrestling, all sorts of stuff. So actually, yeah, it was it was it was uh, it was some issue between Terry Landell and K Town SmackDown that led to the whole threatening to run over Terry Landell with his car thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, enough of that. Let's move across. There was another. Oh. Yeah, there was another nostalgia show, different type, in Memphis. What they believe to be the third biggest indie crowd of 2004, but behind the Lucha shows in Atlanta and Raleigh, one of which I was at, took place as the latest Jerry Lowell nostalgia show at Missouri Coliseum in Memphis on July 10th, and featured several prominent local politicians doing a post-match run-in. The gimmick was Jerry Lowell and Jimmy Hart as a heel tag team for the first time in decades, 
Plus, roll a ticket prices back to $5 drill admission, $10 ringside, and having all hot dogs and cokes for just a buck. They really pushed the low price on TV and drew 3,758 fans. They've been doing the TV angle where Lawler had turned heel, joined with Jimmy Hart, and was feeding with TV announcer Corey Macklin. They had done another deal where Hart was teaching Kamala to sing. You really can't sing and taking him to cut a record. The idea was that Hart hired three hot women who got Kamala to sign a record contract, giving Hart 75% of all of his earnings. Macklin exposed to scam the Kamala at his home in the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, I went out there in the, in, in, in the wilderness, Dave. I had to tell you, uh, there was a lot of brush out there. I had to take my, my machete and uh, clear some of it off. I'd get the Kamala's hut. But it's not as nice as Jerry Jarrett's backyard over here. <laughs> it led to Lawler and Hart versus Kamala and Macklin, which didn't end up with Kamala turning on Macklin anyway. They're working on Macklin with 15 or 20 members of the Ford family, a prominent Memphis political dynasty, including State Senator John Ford, County Commissioner Joe Ford, who won the 1999 Memphis mayoral election over Jerry Lawler, and legendary area, area politician Harold Ford Sr.'s sons, Jake and Isaac, ran in to say Macklin. The crowd booed this a lot, and it came off terrible. The Fords are friends with Macklin. This was a bad idea. It got a lot of pub in the Memphis media over the next few days, with some people thinking it was okay, but a lot thinking the Fords in office shouldn't have been involved in a pro wrestling show. I love how Harold Ford Jr. is just staying away from this, because, like, no, I have actual national political aspirations. Fuck you. Hey, I know all these uh, political players over here. You know, uh, I, I know how to grease the wheel. I know how to, uh, you know, get them $100 handshakes. No, but seriously, isn't it interesting that Basically, the whole family runs in, except for the one that's most well-known nationally. <laughs> yes. Now, just imagine that. A political family doing a big pro wrestling angle. Isn't that great? Yep. This is also the one where Macklin did the big go-home promo, coming out in, in fatigues with the eye patch and his bus <laughs> of his friends on Memphis TV, right? Uh, possible, yeah. <laughs> he got a really good promo. Of course he did. I know how to talk him in the building. They should have had me doing this uh, years ago. We wouldn't have had all these uh, nostalgia things. we still been running. Well, Jerry well, Lawler were four times. versus Kunta every week. Lawler were four times on this show. As he and Brian Christopher also wrestled the Sexy Assassins and the Rock and Roll Express. Robert Gibson teaming with Michael Todd Stratton. His old ring name is Ricky's cousin, Todd Morton. Since Ricky was apparently in some real trouble, he couldn't appear. Whatever that means. As well as he and Brian Chris also could win a battle royal with the final two winners when they each get expensive new cars. And pretty much everyone knew they were winning that one. King Mabel beat Mordecai, who was a former University of Memphis football player years ago, to keep the Southern title. Bill Dundee no-showed to spend the past month building up his TV match with Kid Cash for the XWF Cruiserweight title. His son, Jamie Dundee, took his place. Cash, along with Shock, the former spellbinder, and Jimmy Hart, who must come out half a dozen times, did the beatdown on Dundee afterwards. They were trying to get Terry Funk to come in and team with Macklin against Lawler and, and Jimmy Hart in September when they do another show. Yeah, I can't what remember a... if it's the Kamala one or that that has the promo, but yes, what a... Also, I love the idea of 2004 Todd Morton being in a fake Rock and Roll Express, or whatever you want to call it. He didn't exactly have the look for that by then. No, he's bald. Yes. And he was a bad motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. 
Memphis remains the king of the TV ratings. It's best WWE. It's the best WWE. It's the best WWE market, even over Houston. Plus, a TV special on July 8th on Olympium on the ABC affiliate drew a 4.1 rating. And it's July 10th TV show with a last minute hype for the show did a 5.1. A funny scene on the Saturday morning TV show was when Brian Christopher came out with April Pennington as his manager. So when Lawler and Brian teamed as heels, they had two managers. Jimmy Hart mentioned in an interview that Lawler and Christopher didn't need a blonde bimbo and talked and that talked about your father and you to Christopher. Uh-oh. Well, everyone knows about it. Lawler hates it being acknowledged on Memphis TV because he thinks it makes him come across as old. Lawler and Brian both had that look on their face as something they didn't want out slipped. Brian whispered to Hart really low, who was picked up on TV. This is what he whispered to him. What are you trying to do? Why is up everyone? Kayfabe. <laughs> oh my god. Didn't they do an angle about it seven years earlier? When they announced yes, it on but- WWF TV? Let's not. We, yeah, but don't want to bring it up. That you know, we, let's not talk about it. We, you know, we everybody knows the deal, but let's not talk about it, though, Vix. Lawler didn't want to be reminded. Good lord. We all know Jerry Lawler hates old people. <laughs> all right, let's go to PWG. They ran a show on July 10th at the Los Feliz Hollywood JCC in Los Angeles for three hundred fans. If I'm not mistaken, this sh- I can't remember what the name of this show was. Uh, let's see. Well, you'd look for that while I read the results. The Ballards, Shane and Shannon, team with Scorpio Sky and Quicksilver to beat Charles Mercury. Whatever happened to that guy? Chris Bosch, whatever happened to him? Disco Machine and Top Gun Tower. Then we had Puma over Brad Bradley. Of course, Puma being uh, TJ Perkins. AJ Styles over Rocky Romero. That sounds like a hell of a match. Yeah. Number one contender match for the PWG heavyweight title, three-way dance, Colt Cabana over Big Baby Slim and Excalibur. Scott Lost over Joey Ryan in your Battle of the Lost Boys. Super Dragon over CM Punk. Holy shit, I forgot that happened. America Dragon and Christopher Daniels over Ricky Reyes and Samoa Joe. In our Loser League Town Steel Cage match for the PWG heavyweight title, Frankie Kazarian over Scrap Iron and appears to win the title. Does Pierce ever come back to PWG? Uh, I think he does. Eventually. Okay. Um, and seeing the name here and how I feel like I've heard people mention a ton over the years, I think this is a pretty famous PWD show. This is the reason for the season. Reason for the season, yes. Yes, that's right. In July. Christmas in July, I guess. Yes, theme. it was followed by The Secret of the Ooze. There you go. In August. Wait, All so right. the one before this was Rocktoberfest. Did they do Rocktoberfest outside of October, too? Uh, yes, that was the June show. <laughs> Who knows why things were what they I, were? Yeah, I guess I guess that's uh, Excalibur and Dragon's sense of humor. Yeah. Well, at the time, it could also be uh, Top Gun Tower, uh, Redacted, and who was the fifth one's sense of humor? Well, Disco Machine was involved. That's right, okay. But it sounds like Excalibur, Super Dragon. All right, Inoki Dojo. They had a show on July 11th at the Inoki Dojo in Santa Monica and using no New Japan talent other than Rocky Romero. Because of miscommunication, we almost up for the show and listened to 6 p.m. start time. And instead, starting at 1 p.m., the show drew only 13 fans. Excuse me? <laughs> How do you get a five-hour difference in your time? 
How? Sports management, everybody? I guess. That's very weird, and you couldn't find any results for this, I take it? No. No, 30 people went. <laughs> and Steve Bryan wasn't one of them? <laughs> Nobody had results. What's the date on this one? Uh, July the 11th. Okay, yeah, the day after the PWG show, nothing on Cage Match Wrestling Data. None of those sites had results. Dave didn't have it. Torch didn't have it. So, and they do have results for the previous Dojo show on thirteen people. So yeah, that's Next. clearly. I'm saying that's clearly the reason. All right, Real Pro Wrestling confirmed in advertising that has signed a 15 show network television deal starting in February. This is a group that would use an offshoot of amateur wrestling rules doing sheet matches with top amateur wrestlers. We had reported this story in June 7th issue, and it believed to be Sunday at 4 p.m. on the WB or PAX network. The network is not paying for the show, as they are putting it on, hoping to garner strong enough ratings so they can get rights fees for a second season. The original TV pod, taken October 2002, debuts on Eurosport on July 19th. Reader Kyle Wolf saw the pilot show. He said, I, can't, I don't think it's nice enough to get people into amateur wrestling, but it looks better than UFC does half the time. The man on top of the platform was nice. It looks like it could hurt you if you fall off. Which is good for the casual viewer. Dave does think it'd be every morning it would be more than a small niche sport. They didn't make it interesting enough to get the casual viewers. That's what Kyle said. Real pro wrestling. Yep. It was an idea. Um how do I put this though? The problem is is that there's just not that much of what people look for in pro wrestling in amateur wrestling. In, well, yeah. in the where they'd be pulling out of, especially from you know the international level with freestyle and stuff, because one of the, the like the big differences between you know your American collegiate folk style wrestling and freestyle and Greco Roman, besides the additional differences between freestyle and Greco Roman, is that the Olympic wrestling events don't really have that much mat work. So yeah. What you know? You have enough. Like, really, what are you gonna get that's going to appeal to a pro wrestling or combat sports viewer that they're not gonna get from something else, or and be satisfied enough with it? Yeah, just a flawed concept. Even with modified rules, yeah, it just wasn't gonna work in a grand scheme. You know, credit for them trying and you know getting you know USA Wrestling to be involved and all that. It just, it just, it was never gonna work. You know, and they had they had some very decorated wrestlers. They had uh, Joe Warren, Daniel Cormier, Patrick Cummins. I know there are a bunch of other MMA fighters I'm forgetting. But they had the talent that you would want. You had, you know, world championship Olympic level wrestlers. It just, it wasn't going to work. No. And now let's talk about one of Bix's favorite subjects, Hulk Hogan. Ah, uh, great. Hulk Hogan was clearly angling for another comeback on the best damn sports show period on July 9th. When such events came up and Hogan played perfectly to Vince's ego, talking about how Vince was both a good businessman and a legit tough street fighter. <laughs> Sometimes D Dave really admires how clever Hogan is in this game because that's the perfect thing to say and who else would have thought of it. Hogan told a story about being at some convention and Vince beat somebody up. How perfect. The host of Ripping Vince is being disrespectful to Hogan by not bringing him back and Hogan said he considered coming back. Hogan claimed he had never been contacted about being in the Hall of Fame. Well, Dave Dowsley got to work on that until February. He talked about being interested in one last comeback. And then, as Hogan would do, said maybe he'd do it with Ted Turner. 
Not sure if Vince will fall for that one since he didn't bite when Hogan played the Jarrett card. And Jared at least had a company going, and it'd be impossible to turn on him and start getting serious about even thinking about wrestling without Vince knowing. Nothing's impossible. But at Turner's age, when he discussed it with his close confidant in wrestling, getting back into wrestling maybe two years back, it never got past the first day of discussion because of the startup costs involved. Turner was interested, but was told it would cost him $50 million to get some off the ground that could be competitive. And with Turner's personal wealth down in the AOL Tom Warner disastrous money losses and the stock decline, he decided to guess at the time. In addition, when Jeff Jarrett had a meeting with Turner with Bill Shaw to get funding for TNA, they at that point also turned down the idea of getting back on the wrestling. Bet you folks didn't know all that. Rock was in the audience, or possibly they showed a tape of The Rock, waving to give the illusion he was in the audience. Since Best Dead Sports Show takes guys when they appear doing the wave and splice them into this from time to time. Probably what that was. Hogan cut a wrestling promo on him, saying he beat up The Rock, ran over him with a semi, and beat up The Rock's father. Did they even wrestle? But then said that he and Rock were tight. He brought out his daughter, Brooke, and said that Playboy was interested in her. He also thought about running for president in 1998, and then one of those fake retirements but Ventura winning the governor's election in Minnesota, and claimed there was a poll that showed he beat Bill Clinton, but said he was taught that of it by his son, Nick, saying his son was afraid he'd be shot. He looks smaller than before, but he's got no reason to be bitten right now. So he's still physically in shape and muscular at 50, but his face looked older than ever. He did his poses, got a big reaction. They talked about him being the most recognizable figure in wrestling history. Hogan's trying to offer himself as a guest to other major talk shows to parlay into an opportunity for his daughter. Most of his current focus is geared towards making her the next Britney Spears to sing on those shows. Dave believes he's got Jay Leno and Regis booked soon. VH1 is doing a special called Inside Out on the two of them, which is set to debut on July 29th. And that ends up being effectively the backdoor pilot for Hogan Knows Best. Uh-huh. Um, okay, Chris. When was Bill Clinton first elected to the presidency? 1992. When was he re-elected? 1996. How many terms are presidents allowed in the United States? Well, you know, I know, but it's one of those polls where they'll do that shit well, this, if, if there's a presidential election today, who would you vote for? Hulk Hogan or Bill Clinton? They'd do that. They've done that. You don't think it would have? You don't think if there was a real survey, it would have been him or Gore? They would. Have, they did that like um, As gimmick surveys. Okay. They did that with like comparing Trump with George Bush when they never ran against each other. Okay. I mean, that political the politicos do that type of gimmick. That said, this is obvious bullshit. Oh yeah. Although, he testified under oath, I think maybe the Gawk, I forget if it was the Gawker lawsuit or the Big Show thing, but I've, I've read him saying under oath that this was true, which, <sighs> let's just say they're all, well, I tend to normally give the benefit of the doubt <laughs> to people when they're testifying under oath in a deposition. Uh, I definitely feel like I have to give Hogan less based on some of the stuff he said at depositions. <laughs> I'm not saying uh, he's lying because that would be accusing him of a felony, but I, I I I would be very shocked if it was true. Let's just say that. Yeah. Anyway, Hogan was all and Goldberg were both at the big autograph sign put together by Extra Seven Ninety. No, Extra Seven Ninety, the sports talk station of San Diego. Uh, okay. On uh, July 11th at the Anaheim Pond. The show itself was something of a bomb as it had all those celebrities from Donald Trump to Steve Garvey to Matthew Johnson and drew less than 6,000 fans. And that was with a lot of late comps. Hogan's daughter sang the national anthem and her single. Hogan first talked about the value of staying in school, introduced both Mr. T and Goldberg. 
He called Goldberg the man who will dominate wrestling for the next 10 years. That was funny. Austin was advertised, but he wasn't there, which adds to the sources from several who know him that he's broken contact with almost everyone. Even Goldberg, who was his closest friend just a few weeks back. Hasn't heard from him in weeks. Everyone there praised Hogan, Goldberg, and Mr. T. In our last Hogan story, ICW offered Hulk Hogan $15,000 to one of their shows. When you consider Hogan turns down New Japan for the Tokyo Dome at 10 times that, well, you know the answer. Okay. Um, I guess we should use this as the opportunity to talk about Brooke first. Um, okay, there's a few things here. One, for everyone's sake, hers, ours, Hulk's. Let's be glad she was not the Brit- next Britney Spears. Oh, God. And I don't even say that as like, oh, somehow she would have caught bipolar disorder. I don't mean anything like that, obviously. I mean, you know, on top of everything else, because you know, that's, that's not how mental illness works. She obviously compounded things, but she wasn't driven into whatever by the media coverage. That said, the media coverage and the imaging and everything else obviously made things much worse for her. And adding that probably would have made things a lot worse for Brooke, too. It just yeah. wouldn't have been good for anyone. So, no. it, in the grand team of things, it's probably better that she did not become, like, a hit teen sex pot singer. Or anything like that. Um, no, but she became one of the biggest reality, you know, stars of the era. Yeah, she did. She ended up having even the Brooke Knows Best show for a season or whatever it was, too. After the divorce. So, you know, she did well with that. Also, though, as far as the singing thing, and, and I'm saying this in the context of just, I'm acknowledging this is bullshit, but I also don't think in the era she was trying to make it, I don't think people would have been accepting of this kind of tall, robust-looking woman in that role. I think the thing that held her back was she was Hulk Hogan's daughter. You think if she was just someone else with the backing of people with money trying to make a career for her, it wouldn't have held her back? You think she would have done better? I think, and, and I think another thing too is I think the era she was in may have played a role in it. Well, it was I also oversaturated if, with that type. I think if if, if the Brooke Hogan of 20... 2004 and uh, 2005 and whatever was around, you know, years later. I think she probably has a, a better chance of being a bigger singing star than she did back then. I think people had kind of got tired of that that style at that time. And the you know? kind of manufactured pop star idea, yeah. But now manufactured pop stars are, you know, huge <laughs> on the way, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, but I think part of the reason that it's bigger again now is that there is a bit more songcraft and, you know, like, to, to to kind of your teen pop stars and the like than there was in this era. Eh. Eh. I don't know. But, anyway. How crazy is it that this week is... High school senior age, by the way. That makes me feel old. <laughs> yeah. How old was Brooke at the time, actually? What, 18, 19? Let's see. Maybe 20? So she was born May. Oh, she was, she was 16. 
Yeah, 16. So more years have passed than how old Brooke was at the time. Yeah, and she, like, faded away for years. You don't ever saw much of her at all. Nope. But she, I mean, she's been on, she's back on social media. She's been back, you know, for a while now, you know, posting stuff. And, yeah, she's doing good. Do anything or is she mostly just a housewife now? Well, she posts, you know, she poses different places, bikini shots and stuff oh. like that. But, uh, I mean, I guess all that stuff went down with Hulk and, of course, her mom and all that stuff. She just basically faded away you know what? for a while. Her. Yeah. Actually, wait a second. She didn't end up getting married to that guy, right? No, she's not married. Who was it that proposed to her, the football player? Oh, Phil Costa. Yeah. All right. OVW. This will be the last day before we get WWE. Well, they're technically WWE, but they were supposed to have a show at Six Flags on July 9th, starring Eddie Guerrero, which was rained out. There were a thousand fans there, and the cloudy skies as the show was getting started, and they were figuring to get the biggest crowd of the year. The scary thing is, had it not rained, they probably wouldn't have gotten close to 1,500 fans, which would have outdrawn all the WWE Weekend's house shows. Okay, real quick. Since we didn't have any earlier, but I, you know, I looked at least on History WWE, did Dave run results with attendance numbers that week? No. Like, specifics? Not so really. he kept talking about how badly the shows were drawing, but didn't actually give real estimates for them. Okay, that's a little weird. Torch did, but, I mean, they just weren't interesting. Okay. But it was in the range that people were telling Dave. Yeah, and they were running, like, small town, small markets on the, in, on the coast, you know? Yeah. So... All right, Cornette was in the ring and said, Latino Heat, Eddie Guerrero's here. And just to cry pop, a huge burst of thunder. The prelude of the rain at the Humble Wrestling TV show came down. <laughs> Cornette said that Bradshaw must take issue with that. <laughs> when it started raining, they said they were going to delay the show since it's outdoors at a grandstand. They had some fans do a meet and greet with Eddie, who made the date and was going to wrestle even with his hamstring injury. About an hour later, they finally gave up, canceled the show, but they had Eddie come out in his low rider, did a promo, and shook as many hands as he could. They offered everyone there a free pass to the July 23rd show. It happens. It's an outdoor show. You ain't, you ain't beating the weather. And <laughs> they're all with, they'll be undefeated. Um, it's amazing how in this era, like, okay, so there's this, or as soon as the crowd pops, the, you hear the thunderclap. There's Marty Wright's first match as the Boogeyman, which is outdoors. But I think that was a WWE show and not an OVW show. I'm not sure, though. And thunder and rain started hitting um, along with him saying, I'm the Boogeyman and I'm coming to get you. And the joke after was that it, God cried when he saw the Boogeyman. <laughs> yeah. A lot okay, of people yeah, cried. They, they were WWE house shows. Yeah, a lot of people cried just saw the boogeyman. Uh, All right, TV from July 10th. We had Mike Mondo over Matt Capitelli in a good match by using Kenny Bullen's briefcase. This is better than a lot of matches on Raw SmackDown. Both have good looks. Mondo has the potential to be a great, unique undercard comedy figure. Potential is the word. Uh, you, you know what, though? For whatever you want to say about the Spirit Squad, he was fantastic in his role. Oh, yeah. That that is a guy who has no holdups about making himself look like an idiot. Oh no, Johnny Jeter returned to TV from being out for a few months after hip surgery and beat Joey Matthews. 
Matt Morgan continues to wrestle in interviews, almost never wrestle on TV, and there is a reason. As the heel is who's carrying the main events, talked about his match with John Cena coming up. Jim Cornette must have been having a heart attack as the big show is July 23rd. Morgan and his promo said July 24th. But Cornette, who handled the interview, was able to save it, saying that July 24th was when both would be sore from the match the night before. <laughs> yeah, you know how to eat his ass up. Then Brent Albright did a promo saying it was July 26th. <laughs> Albright introduced Brett Beth Phoenix as his cousin. A women's amateur wrestler star. She's not his cousin, but the background's legit. She's also billed as Chris Master's girlfriend. She's thick, but has a star look. She just started training in pro, so she's really green. Wait, what? Beth Phoenix so they had been her, wrestling for at least two years at the time. They had to do an amateur wrestling exhibition with Bam Bam Penders, as that was ugly. Chris Masters is now called the Suntan Superman, which would be clever if it wasn't the same nickname as Ron Killings. Main event was Ronnie Matt versus Big Bad John. That was ugly as well. You had two natural heels both working as baby faces and the crowd not caring. Luckily it was short. And John's hiding right. Morgan attacked and posted John. Matt then just on the ring to save John and fought Morgan to the back. It was counted out. The gimmick was that John didn't know Matt had saved him and Matt and John fought some more after the match till it was pulled apart. Okay, yeah. Beth had been wrestling for over three years. She started in May 01. <laughs> And Big Dad John, by the way, is Heidenreich. Yeah, so yeah, just said that. So. Okay. Sorry, it's getting a little later than usual. Um, yeah, that is something people forget about Beth Phoenix. That she was a really good at like high school and I think maybe even college wrestler, and at least in high school she was wrestling the boys, right? Yes. And she did quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, she's a heck of an athlete. Yeah. And you know, she also, if this is when she's first being put on tv then this is absolutely when she's just paying her way into ovw on her own right yep and this gimmick doesn't last long right because she ends up being one of aaron stevens valets it lasts a little while but that's kind of where she breaks out and is also it's also during that period where i think also like she was kind of stretched financially between everything, including having to buy outfits for the gimmick. And it was in the middle of that, that she found out that Molly Holly had paid off the balance of her OVW tuition. Well, on that note, that's Kate takes care of part two of this week's between the sheets. So, uh, hope you enjoyed this part and, uh, make sure you listen to part one. What am I saying? I'm sure you definitely listen to part one, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if you haven't go check it out. So, uh, We'll be back next week with uh, Ed from Pod Van Dam and go talk about 1997. So it should be a hell of a show. So for Bix is Chris, it's so long from the Peach State of Georgia. This mother is a bad jam. Beware, I'm before you. The remix, free live crew, still getting rowdy. Nobody said, oh, you didn't know. We the three LK. Check my check, just the mic, one, two, three. You got the truth, K-Dog, and BG. And we do the damn thing because we can. And I am the sometimes Superman. I be stepping like the big black incredible hole. But hold on, you know what they say, if you study long, study wrong. At NWA, we be standing strong. We be cooking like Nate Bone. Smoking like Jason Chong. Picking no competition, we any you opposition.
Kitchen. See the free live crew hit switches. And then we knock the doors down. Hell, we're the NWA tag champions now. Beware, coming for you. It's the remix. But the free live crew still getting rowdy. Oh, you didn't know that we the three LK. Beware, coming for you. It's the remix. Three live still getting rowdy. I'm singing all the Oh, you didn't know that we the three LK. Yo, GPA, arriba la raza All day, every day I'm back with that chick, with it go I'm a pro, I'm a hustler, I'm the grind And attacking that tax-free dough No, see, no The three life crew be like, whoa Give me the back, give me the back Give me that flow A redneck and a spit backed up by a Negro Beware, coming for you That's the remix Three life crew Eat up. 